0: This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so glad to present part two of my episode with the fabulous Nancy Duceau. Today, she will discuss the latter half of her career, including starring on Broadway in Into the Woods and Side by Side by Sondheim, and on screen in Too Close for Comfort, The In-Laws, Good Morning America, and more. So, without further ado, let's give a standing ovation to Nancy Duceau. So... I would love to start by going back to something we didn't get to last time, which was something you did at the very beginning of your career, um, Diversions. Oh, my gosh. Um, that is going far back. <laughs> yes. Um,
1: that that turned out to be a very fortuitous job for me. I, uh, I had just gotten married down in Virginia, and I flew back. In New York and what was funny was um, it was a World series and we couldn't even find a hotel room so my husband and I stayed at the airport and I got a phone call uh, saying that you come in and audition for this show and I went oh sure <laughs> so I went in and I don't I really don't remember what I sang. Uh, I think I sang over the rainbow because uh, that's always a, a sure winner. Yeah. Um, And I knew the uh, producer, Gus Shermer, because I had done a job for him this summer before. Actually, he had directed me, too. Uh, And I got the job, and it was a crazy job. Uh, This was a whole group who had done this show at Bard College. And Stephen Vinever, the writer, we never had a script. He would just come in. Sometimes there was just an idea written on a match cover or a slip of paper or a napkin from a restaurant, uh, and we would gradually these skips would evolve. And the composer Carl Davis, who I don't know at what point in his career, maybe it was eight years later, or whatever, he ended up going and living in London and becoming a very famous composer, a lot for the ballet, etc. But this was a wacky, crazy review, and everybody came to see it all the oh. big time writers and uh, producers and i got i got so much publicity personally that i had my pick of agents oh. <laughs> it really set me you know on my path to uh <laughs> the rest of my career because uh, i got to be funny and silly and uh Everybody was terrific in it. And uh, also sing, you know, a couple of wonderful, wonderful songs. I am so sorry that a, a recording wasn't made.
0: Yeah.
1: You don't know of one, do you?
0: No, no, <laughs> uh, I
1: don't. No, I know. I I should really go out and put out a peeler somewhere. Because I just, there always is somebody that in the audience had a cassette recorder.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even for
1: that long ago because the material was so great uh, it was it was really fun I, ironically did not run that long oh. i broke a rib during it uh, because of some action uh oh. in the show and i missed a few few performances but it really it was a changing point of my life in new york i mean so many things evolved from that it was I I remember it with nothing but love and fondness and joy. Yeah. I really like I said again, I'm sorry that it doesn't it doesn't exist in any form. Yeah. Now. Uh,
0: but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And so, have there been other moments in your career that you would identify as turning points like that was? Um the next
1: one, which was monumental, was when I, I sang at the upstairs of the downstairs. Again, in oh a review. Yeah. And uh, I got really great reviews. That gave me a big boost, and that gave me a boost right into uh, Do Re Me. And while I was doing it, gosh, this is going back so far, oh uh, they had approached me about doing the Fantastics because of the article in Life Magazine, the... Uh, the owner of the Upstairs and the Downstairs wouldn't let me out of my contract, neither for say. So, uh, but I remember calling the office because I knew some of the people in the office who were casting uh, the Fantastics, and I said there's one girl that I see at every audition and she's my favorite, and it was Rita Gardner. Oh, yeah. ended up... (laughs) You know when you audition, especially in those days, I don't know how it is now. Uh, You... You knew the other people, usually, that were up to the same part you were. And, of course, you could recognize who was outstanding. And Rita was always in- interesting and had this really unique, phenomenal voice. And we worked together, finally, many, many years later at the Goodspeed Opera House. And I'm crazy about her. She she, uh, she did a review not too, that long ago in New York about on Broadway.
0: Yeah. You know her? Yes, you know of her? um, I interviewed her, actually. Oh, good. I've interviewed oh, okay. her as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, sure. I haven't
1: seen her in so bloody long. Uh, it, it would be nice to reconnect with her. So, well, I can hear her on your podcast,
0: right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so I would love to ask if there have been other sort of leading roles that you've had to turn down for whatever reason in show. Uh, not
1: really i mean the one that caused me to go to bed for days was uh i was set to do the leading role in cabaret i don't um, know if i mentioned that people before no uh, and i kept asking how prince let me i was so excited let me come in and sing the songs for you because they john kendrick sent me the music and he, you know he was no no my darling no and I yeah. went away for the weekend. And yeah. he was ha- having more auditions over the weekend. And Joe Howard came in over the weekend. And what I heard was, uh, she didn't have a song, so she sang Happy Birthday. And he fell-, fell in love with her. So when I returned on Monday, I no longer had the job.
0: Um.
1: And I literally, I literally went to bed. <laughs> Yeah, I was just heartbroken. And the ironic thing was, I knew Jill. She, I knew her and her mother. They lived next door to us in the next building, oh. and I really could understand in one part of my brain why he thought she was so right for it.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: but all the time they were on the road, uh, the choreographer and other people came down. I was singing at the plaza. They came down the, to. Uh, See me, hear me, and they kept saying, "We're pushing for you. We're pushing for you," because it's not working out so well. Uh, But it never happened. And and a few years later, John Bender, I ran into him in a music store. He ended up buying me all these recordings. (laughs) And he he said we couldn't do anything about it. He said this was our, you know, John and Freds. He said this was our last shot at a big show, and we. We just couldn't fight for you. We couldn't, they didn't feel they had the power to to yeah. do that. Uh, that's what he said then. I mean, I don't know how he would see it now, but he's such a, both of them, I knew them. got to know them both better after that, because they both were, are just superbly talented men and uh, darling men. No, but that was a real joke. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was the
0: most unhappy I think I ever was in the business. But onward. Yes, (laughs) yeah. So I think where we left off last time, you were just about to do the new Dick Van Dyke show. So how did that first happen for you? Uh,
1: Again, I had done a, a play for Joseph Papp downtown called Trelawney of the Wells. And apparently Carl Reiner saw it. And when they began casting for the new Dick Van Dyke show, they they were considering me for his wife, to play his wife. And they threw me out to Los Angeles, and we had a meeting and audition at the Beverly Hills Hotel. They had a huge banner, and it was funny because Crockett saying, "Stand farther away." <laughs> he said, "Dick is so much taller than you." He keep, keeps They also thought. I was too young. We ended up singing. I was too young, too short, too whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: And I did not get the job. And I went back to New York. And then when the series started, right after it started, they called and said, would you like to play another part in the show? So I went, well, golly, sure. So out I went to Carefree, Arizona, where in the middle of nowhere, they built, Arizona built this big old studio. And Dick Van Dyke at the time was living in Cave Creek, Arizona. He and his wife and family, so he did not want to go to L.A. So that is where we did the show. It's funny, I just got... A friend from Palm Springs just sent me the first two years of uh, the new Dick Van Dyke show. And uh, so I, started, I started watching them, and some of them were very funny. And again, I... I'm really grateful for the job because I learned so much from Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. He is the most talented, uh, clever, ingenuous man. man. I mean, every time he did anything, it was better. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. And he was very smart. <laughs> you know, in sitcoms, that kind of work, they changed the script all the time. He he had one of those, well, he could look at a script and it was in his head. It was memorized already. Yeah. Uh, he had that ditch, but he always kept the script in his hand so he wouldn't mess up the yeah. words that had been written. And uh his, his timing, everything that he did was so right. Yeah. Um, I was eager to look at the shows. I haven't found one of them yet, That I one of the shows he did an imitation of Freddie Fair and Will Rogers combined. Well. And I, it, I did an impression of Barbara Streisand that I, I think is one of the funniest things I've ever done. With um, the right wig, the dress, I was singing really well. Yeah. So I said, "Happy nope, days are here again." And what was funny was, like right about five minutes before they were to sell me, uh, the lighting man said, "You don't have her fingernails. She has these really long fingernails." So he cut gel. She got a piece of red gel and cut out these long and stuck them on with (laughs) scotch tape. And and during the number, I kept stabbing myself in my thighs with my fingernails. Uh, That was the first real experience I had on television, and it was difficult for me because, and it was filmed. I mean, you have to hit a mark and not move from that, and that was really hard for me at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been used to this Freedom of the stage, and like I think I told you earlier, my initial uh, stage experience was, you know, theater in the round. Yeah. Where you had yeah. a lot of freedom. So to have to walk and count three or four steps to where your mark is and stay there uh, felt so exciting to me. <laughs> but, but once you get in the habit of it, then then you're okay. You know, you're yeah. okay. So, but that was a really good experience. I did two years. And then Carl and everybody did a pilot for me for CBS. Yeah. And Dick was directing. Uh, it almost got on the air, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
1: yeah sure. Kind of too bad. They were preparing me to be the star of the show and what all that entails. And uh, it was kind of interesting. I, I, I played an actress in, in this pilot who had just gotten married and so the series was to be a combination of working and newly married uh yeah. which was kind of interesting but it unfortunately didn't the past so yeah yeah and but that was that but again i got to work with carl weiner and dick van dyke and hope Lang, who played his wife became a really dear friend fanny Flagg was in it uh you know, it just—it it, it was a good experience for me. Great experience for me. Yeah. They did it a third year, but they did it in Los Angeles. And at that point, they added Chita Rivera to the cast.
0: Oh, yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I did want to ask you, was being in a sitcom and starring in a sitcom something that you had in mind before as a goal, or was it just something you'd never yeah. considered? No, but what I
1: found out was... Uh, I was so happy living in New York and being in the theater. I was totally content with that. I had done a little television. You know, I'd been on the Ed Sullivan show and some things, and a few other things, but my life was in New York, and that's, that's really all I wanted. And my manager called me one day, and he said, I want you to come to L.A. for a while. He, after he said that, I, uh, I had been working quite steadily. I came out, and uh, I got... Too close for comfort, right away. I mean, that's yeah. That was a lovely book. <laughs> yeah, and Ted Knight, I must say, he read he read with all the potential leading ladies. He came in and read with us. Also, to my advantage, he just seen me in New York, you know, oh. side by side by sometimes. So that that gave me a little boost. That mm-hmm. uh, and I like television. I like uh, the quickness of it. Uh, and that the reviews didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, people like the show and watch it. It didn't matter what yeah. the paper said. And I I have to confess I like that. So, you know, it's good. And I still get residuals from all these things. so that's even oh, good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and how did you sort of feel about the difference in the roles that were available on Broadway versus on TV?
1: You know, when I look back... And I, of course, I thought about it at the time, too. Again, I kept looking for something in New York because I really missed it. And that's what all I really wanted. Yeah. But as you know, you know probably better than I do how the theater was evolving and musical theater and the music. I mean, it, there, were, there were very huge roles available as the years went on. You know, there was just less and less. So theater became much more accommodating
0: to
1: yeah. my talent and, you know, what I could do. So I stayed in New York. I kept my apartment in New York, I mean, for a very long time. So they kicked me out because uh, <laughs> I wasn't there enough. The doorman spied on me. Oh. Uh, so I eventually became a full-time resident of California. Yeah. But boy, you know, still, when I go back to New York and run into people... I know, and I always run into people I know, yeah. uh, of course, I call my friends, but it's that same feeling of community and oneness that is so appealing about the theater, yeah. and I run into fans. I mean, people see me in the theater. I mean, some of my, a couple of my closest friends now are people that saw me oh. when they were kids and Sound of Music, so it's always rewarding, just. As a, as a performer, as an artist, when I'm back in New York, it always makes me feel I did something worthwhile. And uh, yeah, nothing is better than that, you know? So, yeah. and I'm still deciding whether I want to sing again, do another evening.
0: And uh, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we we'll see. And uh, another question I wanted to ask is, what did you like or dislike about playing the same role for a very long time, longer than you? might have in New York? Although, of course, different scripts, but... Uh, You
1: know, I was absolutely fine with it. Because the way our schedule was, we had a week off almost every three weeks. uh, And then we were off for a matter of months, so I could always go off and do other things. Um, Yeah. I always went off and did a show. So I I didn't mind it. At all, and even when I was in New York, I think the longest run I ever had in a show was a year and a half, almost two years. I didn't mind that either.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, things change, things happen. Yeah, <laughs> Your audiences are always different. I don't know. It just, I, I don't know. Maybe it also gave me a feeling of security and uh, yeah, a feeling of. Like, I, I really knew what I was doing. <laughs> Whether that was true all the time, I don't know. But uh, I, I think most people in the business, they, you become very loyal yeah. to what it is you're doing. I mean, you, you really should. Uh, and I, I love the feeling that you get from working with the same people. I didn't have any problem ever with anyone I worked with. You know, I lucked out that way. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, I feel lucky. I feel lucky. Yeah, and yeah. I'm closing my door so you can't hear that on dog. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> and I would love to ask a little more about working with Ted Knight because you were working so closely for so long. Ted was fun. He,
1: he also had a tipper. Every yeah. now and then he would get mad at all of us. And mainly what he would say at that point was you're not working hard enough. And I remember the first time he said that, I mean, my hand went right on my hip and I went, wow, you know, yeah. <laughs> I had a very snarky attitude about that. But then when I went to my dressing room and thought about it, I thought he's right. We yeah. all could work harder, harder to make these scripts better, harder to, to, uh, everything we did with more energy and, and, uh, caring and that, uh, he he was funny i mean he had a big ego yeah <laughs> big ego he liked the way he looked and he, and he was he hated it when people said he was sort of like the character of mary tyler moore show but oh. in some ways he was, in some ways he was. <laughs> yeah but yeah. he also was he worked rather big the two of us did i mean we were we worked at the same energy level yeah. like we literally were on the stage yeah and we had the Get the girls to come up to that that level of energy, and he always said it doesn't matter how, like he worked big in his in his comedy, but if it all comes from a really true place, it, it, you'll get it. I mean, you know, it won't be too much. Yeah, yeah. it's very true in, in the comedy. I mean, I don't watch. I have to confess, I don't watch sitcoms anymore. Uh, I watch a few things on television at night and. Other than that, yeah, you know, I just, I've lost interest in that right now, <laughs> yeah. so, but everybody evolves and changes, so, yeah. that's that, but I became pretty close to Ted and his wife, and uh, it, it still just shocks me, and really fills me with sadness, because when he died, he was only 61 years old, Yeah. And that's and that's young, yeah. <laughs> Today, mm-hmm. series is going to go on, you know. And uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. But he again is a friend, and he taught me a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm really grateful that I got to work with him and know him. And he, uh, that was one of my husband's first jobs as a director. He had him come in and uh, do a show, which was pretty swell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had I have reasons to like.
0: Yeah. And did you have a favorite episode of the show to film, or one that you can... Uh, Too close or come to? I don't. Yeah. Uh, oh.
1: I mean, I you know, I've seen probably The pilots as much as anything. And uh, that kicked us off real well. And a couple of the shows I did get to sing. And I, of course, liked that. Yeah. <laughs> and I liked it, uh there was an episode where I, I was pregnant, and uh, we went up. To, we actually went to San Francisco to film, and uh, the character Monroe, who Jim J. Bullock played, took me oh. to the hospital on a motorcycle. Oh, uh, and that was that was really fun. Of course, I didn't actually get on the motorcycle because you know the hills in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, but it was funny because while we were waiting around, at one point I went into a store. And they asked me to leave because I looked so pregnant that they were afraid of oh what happened <laughs> while I was in the store. So I, I quickly left. I, didn't, I tried to tell them that it wasn't real, but I yeah. left. <laughs> so that, that whole part of the show was, at the time was kind of unique because mm-hmm. I was playing a woman now in my 40s and having another baby. So that was News, <laughs> yeah. News. We were cover of People magazine and everything with the baby, and so that whole section of the show was was fun. I have to say, yeah. Uh, and and we got after them. I must say, we the cast. You know, again, getting back to Ted telling us all to really think and be aware. Yeah. Uh, we we complained that we were living in San Francisco. And we never had an Asian actor, oh. or a black actor, or anything like that. So they finally started n- using yeah. actors, you know, of color, and uh, that was. But that was kind of slow in coming. You know, people yeah. were just weren't doing it much. They didn't think about it. Yeah, which is kind of unfortunate. But they got they did get better about that, which I was very pleased that we all spoke up. So yeah.
0: So, um, <laughs> one of my favorite movies, which you did, was The In-Laws. So, um, oh, yes. I would love to ask about that and Alan Arkin. Oh.
1: Yeah, they, that was an exceptionally wonderful job for every reason. Yeah. Uh, and I got that because a director liked me on Good Morning America. And when they called me about it, for an audition, I was in Italy, <laughs> My a big, big trip that my husband and I had longed for. And I'll never forget it, because I was in Florence, and I got a phone call saying, could you come in tomorrow for an audition? And I said, do you know where I am? <laughs> and, and, my, and I said to my agent, I'm going tomorrow to Venice, Italy. I've waited all my life to go there. He mm-hmm. said, well, can't you fly back, and then you could fly back to L.A. and go back? I said, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And I could just tell them I'll be home within the week, which I was. And I got the job. But that was a job that was just perfect. The script was great. Every single person in it was so right and so good. And I loved Alan Ark and Peter Falk. And I was uh, I always remember during breaks, Alan Arkin would be playing the piano. I thought, oh, my God, he can do all sorts of things. Yeah. And Peter would be outside. I remember I once looking out the window, and Peter was outside, uh, w- roaming around the shrubs around the house, you know, mm-hmm. practicing his lines, doing his lines. Um, and I loved that. I loved seeing that picture. And also, at one point, I was talking to a couple of the actors who had, you know, minor roles. And they said they had known Peter for a very long time and that he, he, he tried and and he got them in on almost every movie, anything he did so that they would get their health insurance. Oh. And they said, you know, they told me, uh, they said, you know, he majored in business. And one time when he was doing Columbo, some of the advertisers were on the set. And he heard them discussing what they were charging for commercials. He <laughs> said, Peter just got up from his chair and went to the phone and called his agent and said, I get to have more money. <laughs> I know what to do. <laughs> but he was, he was funny and charming. And Alan is, I think, very special, a special actor, a great human being. And uh, we not only, I mean, the script was right at the beginning, there were very few changes. Uh, we finished I think early we finished filming. Yeah. It was released very quickly and was immensely popular. Uh, yeah. So I'm I love it that I'm a part of that that film. And it's still people still talk about it. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a fun thing to be a part of. I do remember the first day of filming, uh the director said to me, We really had just started, we did one little a dialogue, and he said, cut, and he came over to me, and he said, are you always funny? <laughs> and I said, well, not always. He said, oh, he said, I don't want that. I want you to be that lady I saw in Good Morning America. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do what you want. So, so, And I even became friendly with the owners of the house that wow. we were filming, where we were filming. And uh, they ended up using my. I had a farmhouse in Connecticut, so they took their two kids and stayed in my house in Connecticut and went back and forth between Boston. And I could, my house is right between Boston and New York, so yeah. <laughs> each kid each kid was assigned a city. You know, and they uh, so everything about it just turned out to be a blessing. Yeah, so it's one of those dream jobs. So. That was terrific. You've seen the movie?
0: Have you seen it? Yes, yes, I love I love the movie. Second <laughs> yeah. time, second time. They're yeah. guys. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Gosh, it's good, good, good. So okay. I did want to ask, um, has there ever been a co-star that you worked with on screen, unlike Ted Knight or Alan Arkin, who it's been a little harder to find sort of chemistry with? Mm, no. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, uh, once,
1: I mean, in the theater a couple of times, oh. uh, there were two gentlemen, I hate even to say names, that were just, one, I can't even remember his name, it'll come to me, but uh, one was Bob Brain, uh and he he would always forget his lines. Um, uh, and I, even during rehearsal, I kept asking people, uh, the assistant stage manager, someone to come do my lines with me at night. They said, you know your lines. I said, yeah, but I need to hear his lines because he, he never says them right. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, and once he skipped acts, he went from the first act to the third act. So uh, I, I was glad I'd been so drilled that I could do everybody's lines. You know, yeah. get us back, and then he felt that I, I was more popular in the show than he was, so then afterwards he would ask, he at his uh, bow, he would do a whole little spiel, oh. almost like a cop back. But we, you know, we got along, but it was but it was difficult. Uh, yeah. And, you know, in a, in a job like that, it's short. You're only playing a matter of weeks, you know, so it's not worth getting herself crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there was one other gentleman I did sound music with, and uh, he kept wanting to change all the staging. Oh. And I had I done the show so much, and I said, you know, this is one of the few shows that even when it says in the script, you do move left two steps or go door you know, <laughs> open the window. I said, they work so well that it might behoove you to pay attention to it. And we got in an argument. I've never had an argument ever uh, with anyone I'd with. And uh, the director came in and calmed us down, and I agreed to try everything that he wanted to try. And I thought, well, that's good for me, too. That's good for me, too, (laughs) (laughs) to be a little more client. It really didn't work. And then came opening night, and... Maria shows up at the captain's door, knocks, and he opens the door, and he just stared at me. He was so scared. Uh, So again, I did his dialogue. I said, you're probably wondering why blah, blah, blah. And then finally he he caught himself, and he turned out to be absolutely marvelous in this show. One of the best ever. And uh, so that all turned out fine, too. Yeah. (laughs) But it's... uh, it's unusual because I really I'm kind of easy to get along with. Yeah, and uh, and like I said, those jobs—summer stock jobs or short theater jobs—it's really. I think, on the most part, people try to be, you know, amenable. Yeah, yeah. Do their best <laughs> not cause any trouble. Yeah, I've never you know I'd hear stories about movies and television, and uh, I've just never experience that yeah. and boy am i glad
0: <laughs> so i would love to ask next about side by side by songtime, which you were mentioning a little earlier so how did that sort of first first start for you i
1: had been doing good morning america and i left and uh they were replacing the english cast in side by side by Songtime, and i had been doing a series of concerts with karen mo oh talked to. yeah and uh, so the two of us came in and sang for them, and they hired the two of us, which was phenomenal. But yeah. Karen had done a pilot for a TV show. She might have mentioned that. Um, and she, she couldn't do it because they had a hold on her.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. 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 So they ended up hiring Georgia Brown. That show turned out to be such fun for me and what was... Hard at the beginning was I really did not know much of Sondheim's music. Oh. Uh, so it was a whole learning experience for me to get into his music and to work with him. Because uh, he came in and uh, y- you know, I don't know if I, I told you this because I it's become kind of uh, my song, like getting married today, not getting married today. Yeah. And when <laughs> When he watched the show one night, he said, "You really do that better. Probably better than anyone." He said, "But wow. not, I really would appreciate it if you sang the melody more." Oh, so because at the the beginning of the song is kind of low, and it, the song is very rapid, very you know goes by quickly. And I was so intent on people hearing the lyrics that I I, I took liberties. Let's say. So I worked real hard on getting that correct, and I also, for the first time in my life, wrote into my contract that I got to sing Send in the Clowns because that was the only song I knew at the time and I knew how people reacted to it. But then when they hired Georgia Brown, they said, you know, she really would probably be better for it. And I said, yes, she probably would. But I... I still ended up singing it, and Georgia was cool with it, she, she was fantastic, I mean, the cast, i Larry Kurt, Georgia Brown, and Hermione Gingold, I mean, it was well, yeah. such, a, such a group, and I also, that's where I met my husband, oh, really, he came, yeah, we had, <clears throat> excuse me, new cast, and they took in another stage manager, new stage manager, so, that's how we met, yeah. and that was so that was an extraordinary time for me not only did i love doing the show but you know i felt love. so yeah that yeah. was that was a really
0: good time <laughs> i did want to ask a little more about sondheim himself who of course you worked with then and also on into the woods later you know i still don't know how i i just don't remember how i met him
1: originally uh but he, I remember inviting him for dinner. Uh, he lived, We lived close to each other. And uh, I remember him coming to dinner a few times. And uh, this I never asked him about, and I I really should, because he's so good at answering mail. He apparently answers everyone, yeah. which I think is phenomenal. And he was at one point holding up his key ring, and it had little discs on it that looked like records. And he said, These are my best reviews so far, you know, and he hadn't gotten, I mean, he hadn't reached that level yet, you know, so, uh, you know, on one recording, it was like, yeah, they're nice, Uh, you know, nothing extraordinary at all, and I I just couldn't get over that, and it was such a funny present for his friend to to give to him. Yeah. Uh, But later, I thought those little gifts had 2,000 words on them. (laughs) <laughs> telling up how, how brilliant he is, but he, uh, he was, I was always so, I guess, in awe of him. Yeah. I, I was not always comfortable talking to him, but it was like during the side by side by some time, there were places we would all hang out after the show and he would be in there too, coming and going and hi Steve and blah, blah, you know, but n- never a long, long conversation. Years mm. later, as I would run into him, he he became much more easy yeah. to you know be talked talk to. But uh, I I think I was always just in on him, which is kind of too bad. He came in again and into the woods and worked with me uh, on the on the songs, which uh, I was really grateful for. He because yeah. I know he made me so much better. Yeah, <laughs> you become a better performer doing his. His music and lyrics, yeah, they're on a level like nobody else. So, uh, but I, I've watched how he's evolved over the years, you know. And he, I, I know at one point I was doing a, a benefit at Lincoln Center, and uh, he was laughing, saying because he was teaching a class in, in uh, writing and composing, and uh, he was talking about how funny it was because he was teaching kids, young people, you know, high school yeah that age group and um, he you know one of the girls was always said hey Stevie I mean you know she <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know, know whether maybe he you know he must have said something that allowed them to be so friendly and on that level no I mean she wasn't calling a there was something like Stevie yeah. it was one of the girls that had won an award and I just thought it was so funny and he just laughed at it. Uh, yeah. he's um uh, yeah you have met magic, have you? Did you
0: ever, it? Me? No, no, I haven't. But of course, <laughs> I I wish that, that I could. So, um, speaking of, I wish you did into the woods. Um, and what was it like to be taking on a whole soundtime role? Uh, entire. It was interesting. I I I don't know if I should say it. when I first saw the show, I didn't love it. Uh, um, I liked
1: it a lot. Uh, but it was you know, interesting. Again, I love the music. And, and then when they asked me to come in and audition for it with James LaPine, and actually he was in L.A., and uh, he was funny. He said, do you want to sing anything from it? And I, he said a little bit of uh, It's the Last Midnight, so I said, oh, okay. I didn't know it, so he went out of the room for about five minutes, and me and the pianist worked, and uh, when he came back in, I sang it for him, and he just went, wow, you can really sing. And then he asked if I would rather do it on the road or in New York. Uh, ironically, I probably could have made a lot more money on the road. But old New York, I have to be in New York. And I still had my apartment.
0: Yeah. So, uh,
1: but boy, as I got into that part, I, I, I really got to appreciate the show. The show. And I, I loved doing it. And it was difficult at first. I had to have a shadow of the stage manager stuck with me for like two weeks almost um, to make sure I made every entrance and exit correctly because a lot of them were real fast. The quick change was so much fun. I mean, you're familiar with this show. Oh, is that, yeah. now that noise is your noise, isn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> New, York, New York noise. Yes. Noise. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but that's that bit in the show where the witch disappears and then reappears, looking swell—I've never experienced anything like that. You know, they they, they bring you—you're standing on a little square that you're pulled downstage. stage, and uh, and then a little army of people attack you, changing clothes and slapping on a wig and uh, eyelashes. I mean, it just—I—I just, and I, I just didn't never had experiencing anything like that in the theater, which I absolutely loved. And I loved... And he worked with me on that in the song Singing to Rapunzel, the Daughter, that deep feeling of love and need mm. to protect her and knowing she's a misfit in the world, you know, and wanting to keep her away from actually everything she kind of represented and uh, keep her safe. That was... An extremely poignant and emotional part of the show. Yeah, and uh, I always remember in a rehearsal. He was lying on the floor of the stage, you know, kneeling, you know, beside the girl singing, and him, him talking to me. You have to let her know how much you love her, your need for her, and uh, I was really moved by the whole experience. It's, uh, to have the writer right there with you, who knows so well <laughs> the feelings he was expressing and, and wanting you to understand that it is a unique experience and i you know i've worked with some of the the best writers in the business and i and i don't think kids today newcomers today in the business get quite quite that experience the fact that are trying is still what you're doing is thrilling yeah. we're all very very lucky very very lucky
0: so I would love to ask about the cast of Into the Woods and the cast of Side by Side by Sondheim and what your relationship was like with them. And Side by Side, like
1: I said, it was Larry Kirk who... Uh, Larry was kind of a private person about his personal life, so we saw him every now and then, but we got along great. Oh, Hermione, yeah. crazy Hermione Gingo, she <laughs> lived around the corner from me. So I became pretty friendly with her you know and I'd pick her up sometimes when the weather was bad my husband Val and I we would go get her and and help her back and forth to the theater and she would tell me her story of her life and her coming to America which I just found fascinating and Georgia we became very friendly with and when we all returned to LA to see her out there I thought she was such great she was a sexy down to earth woman and so loaded with talent, and her death was, should never have happened. So that was a real sadness for us. Uh, yeah. The chat, yeah, it was interesting. I've been to the woods. Everyone had been doing the show for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I come barreling in, in my, my, that in LA. And uh, I, of course, wanted to go out after the show, and everybody went home. Uh, and I thought, hey, here I am. And uh, I was particularly fond of Chip Zion. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I got to know my daughter, Marin Davies, who was the one that finally said, I'm going out with you. Oh. And then we got a couple of the other ladies, and we would all go out afterwards to have a ball. And I, I stayed very close to Marin. I mean, as the years went on, you know, and she married Jason. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we kept in touch, but we were not at all, you know, I just. See them that often, but she she was an amazing friend, and oh lordy, could she sing! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She uh, and Chip. No. One day when I came into the show, I went. I hadn't been feeling very well, so my doctor had given me a new prescription for. I had a cold and a cough, and all sort of so I took this pill in late afternoon, and when I got to the theater that night, I was a little heavy, a little funny, but yeah. Uh, I started singing the rap song, Beans, Beans, Nothing With Beans. Uh, and when I finished, I mean, I got through the number just fine.
0: Yeah.
1: And when I finished, I actually didn't know where I was. Oh. I, I, Everything stopped for me. I mean, I just, I took a deep breath and I looked at Chip and I said, what do you think? <laughs> and he laughed so hard that he it was like, cartoons where you see a dog shoot up, he shot off backwards and landed on his butt. And, you know, he said, what do I think? Aren't you talking about some giant? And I went, oh, that's it, that guy. And and then on we went. And when we came off stage, Sip said to me, he said, are you on that new pill? And I said, yes. Um, And he said, you know, I was on it last week. He said, and I had to get off the bus I was on and ask my wife to, I had on the phone booth, and I did remember my phone number. I called my wife and asked her to come get me oh. because i I didn't know where I was. I was lost. Yeah. So needless to say, neither one of us took that pill again. Yeah. But Chip was great. You know he's he was with the show from the beginning, and uh, he helped me. I mean, he really knew knew the show so well. I, I, I just was so glad he was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm always so happy when I see him on TV or something. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of him. Uh, and at one point during the show, I, I fell down the stairs at my house and broke my arm. Oh. So I didn't, I didn't miss one show, which I hated. Because yeah. I'm, I'm one of those old timers that you don't ever miss a show unless you're really, you have to be really sick. Yeah. Uh, and... And then I went back, and it was hard because I had to do a couple of physical things that, that that made it hard. They, I talked them out of putting a big cast on it, so I just had one of those bands with all the steel rods inside of it. So uh, I was in pain, but it you know it didn't it didn't interfere with the show too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much. I was really happy to be in that show.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, it's kind of interesting as a theater. Uh, was it was in a bed. It was on the other side of Eighth uh, Avenue. That was an era where a lot of people on the street with drugs and needles and selling mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. And some ladies,
1: some ladies of the night, helped me get a cab one night. That was kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, I mm-hmm. I came out. And it was raining, and I was having trouble getting a cab. And I was looking around, at everybody uh, and these two girls were standing in the doorway, and they said, "Honey." Let us get you a cab. You get nervous around here? And I said, I am. And they said, oh, you're in the show. We know you. We see you come and go. So they, they got me a cab. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those New York experiences that yeah that you never forget. And they were terrific. So, But yeah, that, that was, I was really happy that I got to do that show. It was uh, again, a unique experience and a learning experience, and uh, you can't ask for more than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I would love to ask quickly about um, two more TV shows that you did for just just a few episodes, which were um, Barney Miller and The Carol Burnett Show.
1: Oh, yeah. I, Carol, I knew, I've kind of known her on and off for years, so to be asked to be on that show was, was a thrill, and the fact that we knew each other a bit helped me be more comfortable, yeah and, and you know feel I could do it. I've never seen it. I would love to see it, <laughs> um, yeah, I never saw it and the other one Barney Miller turned out to be uh hard and wonderful at the same time because we we filmed the show and Oh, he was, he was left my head. The man of the show director came in and didn't like what had been done. So we were there forever that night, redoing oh. everything, where he was just pushing people around. No, just stand over there and say it like this. You know, turn into kind of that. And that was tough. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. when the the show turned out really well. And they they had talk of plans for me and the... And, uh, the other character to do, do a spin-off. Oh. But uh, the network was nervous because I was playing at Lady of the Evening. Uh, yeah. They were nervous about it, so that never happened. But I was but I was really happy I got to do the show. Really happy. So,
0: One more show that you did was Mad About You, which you also did for a few episodes.
1: I, yeah. Uh, that was another case of a new director that evening that they, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't It didn't end his career in television, I must say, but he just could not do it. He couldn't get the cameras right. He couldn't. And we were way over time at that point. You know, the uh, head man came in and just said, we have to do this over. And again, you stand there, you do this, you do that. So it turned out to be not a very fulfilling (laughs) (laughs) uh, time. But uh, again, I was happy with the way it looked and the way it turned out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I knew the actors, and so that was that was a relief. So we all shared in the experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so it was fine. It was fine. That was a good show. It was, yeah. You know, yeah. I was glad to be on it. I was glad to be on it. And <laughs> Paul Dooley played my husband, and I knew him. It was crazy about him. So that was all in all a good experience.
0: Yeah. Oh, I was so, just going to ask about something you've mentioned a few times, which is Good Morning America and hosting that. So how did that sort of start? I would be curious to know.
1: Uh, Yeah, and then after this, I'm going to have to get going. Again, Um, I was kind of in between things, and uh, it was funny, I was out in L.A. going on some interviews, and I, I checked my answering service we had in those days, and I'd gotten a call from a man named Bob Shanks, and I knew Bob from I had been some uh, benefits, big events. I was going to say with him, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's asking me to do another one. And I did not call him back right away. Yes. And then I thought he got home, and I saw there were two more messages on my New York phone. But finally, I called him back, and that's what it was about. We're doing this new morning show. Would you be interested? We'd like you to come in, and we've learned the Golden Scene. Anyway, see. You know, I went in and I met everyone and they offered me the show, uh, mm-hmm. which stunned me. I did go in, uh, one day with David Hartman into the studio and they said, just chit chat with him a minute. And I knew David. So again, that made it less, <laughs> less scared. Um, mm-hmm. uh, then they asked me to redo a few commercials, just read off some stuff, and then you know they offered me the job, and I was in such a state of shock that they purposely wanted people to host a show that were not news people.
0: And yeah. This show
1: was under the banner of entertainment; it was not under the banner of a news program. And uh, they actually wanted the first show to be absolutely live or on the air, but again the difficulty of putting together a show like that was tricky. So yeah. we, uh, we take the first few shows and it got going. It was hard for me. I This was something I was so unused to and it was totally scripted and getting up at three or four in the morning was hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about it. but so I... God, I love being on it. I just got to meet everybody. And at um, one point early on, I came in one morning, and they said, would you, would you write the entertainment news because so-and-so isn't here? And I thought, I don't know how to do that. They said, just you do it. <laughs> so I so had a typewriter, and off I went. And, uh, and then one morning, again, I came in, and they said, our newsman, who is actually from Chicago, he's in negotiations for his contract. so you have, to, you have to do the weather. Did I say well? That turned into a comedy routine. Um, I did do the weather, but I didn't have any of the uh, screen screens or the. I mean, I never knew where I was pointing. You know, yeah. or, or what that turned into a real joke. Uh, but they thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it so, wasn't to worth about, and I, you know, I became more adept at it. Uh, I had trouble. Uh, trying to lead a no- fairly normal personal life. Uh, but uh, it really was, it, it was a fantastic opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I left that, uh, it was a little almost two years. I left and, and then got a job right away in the theater doing Side by Side. But uh, later I thought, see, it would have been fun to have stayed on longer.
0: And,
1: yeah. Uh, because it's, it really is an amazing job. I wish I had known better how to do it. They were very short-staffed when we began the show. There were only four writers. and uh, I was sent out all the time to interview people with no producer, with no... Uh, you know, I was very unprepared for a lot of it. And I also didn't realize that I should have been in the editing section of a lot of the interviews I did. Uh, I don't have to learn. I think the biggest lesson I learned, which really helped me later in my career was ask for help. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, Barbara Walters would come on the show, people, I could have I could have called her and said, would you give? Can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> you know, she was very friendly to me. People were really welcoming to me uh, and I'm sorry. I kept thinking I could figure everything out myself, but I really couldn't. Um. Uh, so I, I learned that lesson. You know, there are people that are always willing to help. And never be afraid to ask. So, oh yeah. no, so, all all, that was a great experience.
0: <laughs> I I'd love to ask um what advice you would have after such a long and legendary career to someone just starting out. I,
1: you know what I? It's, it's interesting what I hear people say. Uh, it's so different that I, I mean, I really don't quite know what all the uh barriers difficulties are but I know you have to be very savvy much more technically savvy uh yeah. the younger people I know they they all know how to put themselves out there you know the internet I think you have to do all those things I think you also have to you have to be very secure in yourself and love love that you're doing this and 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 pursue it with all your heart Yeah. Uh, I'm now, from me, with a fantastic singer. Her name is Julie Danyer, and we belong to a group of women out here. They're all singers. Oh. But she has now learned how to do everything <laughs> on her computer as far as putting shows together and interview shows. She has. She does a show herself. And like all of us, including Karen, we belong to a group they call themselves. It's kind of tricky singers. Uh, but we're doing another evening of music that is a fundraiser for Actors Fund. Oh. And Julie is a producer. I mean, she's learned how to do everything. Plus, she shows up to sing everywhere. Uh, and I, I love her for that. And I think, again, you always have to believe in yourself and know your gift and, and just pursue it in every direction. I think you have to be much more creative now.
0: Yeah.
1: in how you get out there in the world and present yourself, because I think they're like for just to, to get on a Broadway show is is limited. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, like I said, you just have to be very creative and, and work as hard as you can, and make sure you're ready at any moment. Yeah. I always felt I wasn't ready at every moment, but I, uh, I somehow managed to survive. And, and just keep going uh you know, I, I mean like i'm still learning music and i uh, and doing that just to keep myself sane and sharp yeah but uh you know now every college has music theater departments and all of that i mean i just i always remember you know, just i have visions of floods of young people coming to new york after oh. college so after high school you know yeah. Wanting, having this dream to be in the theater. And it doesn't always work out. But, you know, your, your gifts, you know, there's always other outlets. But again, you know, when you think of people like, uh, God, Rice and Madonna, who were kind of offbeat people. Yeah. They had talents and then they never let up. <laughs> yeah. They just never let up. And uh, you have to have that. I was always. Uh, I always had a home life. I was always a little slick, but I always got a job. So I, you know, I I, I didn't have to work as hard as I think people do today. Yeah, uh, That's kind of what I think. You have to love it. You have to pursue it like a demon and, <laughs> yeah. and, and work at it all the time. All the time.
0: Yeah. Thank you well, so much for doing this interview. It was an honor to talk to you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I am joined by legendary author and historian Ethan Morton. As America's top theater writer, you may remember his legendary decade series, chronicling the history of the Broadway musical from the 1920s on, his biographies on Sondheim and Ziegfeld, the man who invented show business, plus when Broadway went to Hollywood, anything goes, and more. If you're a reader of LGBT fiction, his budget Buddy's cycle of books have been some of the most influential in that area, too. But Mr. Morden joins me to celebrate the publication of his very exciting new book, Pick a Pocket or Two, A History of the British Musical Theater, which is currently available from Oxford University Press at the link in the episode description. It's a fascinating book and a must-read not just in summer, but in any season. So make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.